Good morning, Zoe. How are we doing? Hey, you guys can stand with me for the reading of God's Word today. If you're brand new here, we do this every Sunday. Uh, we believe the most important words you're going to hear today are not from Pastor Greg and I, but it has to come from what his Word has to say to us. Uh, as you're standing, a cool update. I haven't seen a lot of you since uh, October. I've been gone every Sunday uh, preaching across the United States of America. A cool update. Uh, we saw close to 3,000 people give their life to Jesus just in the last couple months through traveling and preaching. And so I, I share that to say thank you. Uh, thanks for being people who stand with my family as I'm on the road preaching. Uh, today we're going to start off in Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. It's just one verse today. And uh, here we go. It says this, the virgin Mary will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. Jesus, today, I pray if there's anybody in the room that currently has never experienced or encountered your presence, maybe they're alone. Today, would they walk out of this room totally transformed because they met a God whose name, God with us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You guys can be seated. Does anybody here... Uh, you have a dad that's an instigator, just loves to, inst he loves to poke you, loves to get under your skin a little bit. Anybody have a dad who took delight in laughing at you and doing the things you did when you were growing up? Well, I have a dad who was an instigator, and I didn't know it till I grew up and was an adult until I became the dad that started instigating my own kids. My dad was a local firefighter right here in Egan, not too far away. And uh, at the firehouse, Santa was coming to town at the firehouse. He's going to meet all the little children. And so my dad brought me and my three sisters, and I was about five years old at the time. And um, just before I'm about to go sit on Santa's lap, there's all these kids on the floor. All the firefighters are there. It's a full house. My dad whispers something in my ear. He goes, son. I said, yeah, dad. He goes, when you sit on Santa's lap, I want you to pull on his beard. I'm like, gee, okay, Dad, that sounds fun. Sure, sounds like a good time. So I went over there, all these kids surrounding, and sit on Santa's lap. There's this white, glistening beard staring right in my eyes. And I remember what my dad said, pull on his beard. I didn't know what to expect, so I pull on his beard. The whole beard comes off. All the kids start screaming. I start screaming. All the kids start crying. I start crying. My dad's in the back dying laughing. He smells like beef and cheese. He wasn't the real one. He's not the real Santa. In that moment, I realized he was a fake. He was a phony, an imposter. And I think the same can be true, that when we live life long enough, we begin to realize there's so many things that are counterfeit and so far from the real thing. In fact, it's possible this Christmas to have a tree full of presents, to have your Christmas tree decorated in presents surrounding you, but yet completely be void of the real thing, his presence. And if you're looking at these Christmas gifts this morning and you recognize one of them because, well, you gave it for the giving tree, don't worry, it's still going to the giving tree, okay? I'm not keeping it, all right? You recognize your rep, there's some mom out there. That's my present. I gave that. He's using it. Yeah, I know. It's for an illustration. It's okay. 
Isn't it true, though, that we can spend our entire life, and then when we get on our deathbed, we begin to realize what was real and what wasn't? My pastor was golfing at a really nice golf resort. A friend brought him. Brought him. There was a couple of businessmen at the golf resort. The businessman looked at the group of pastors and said, hey, would you mind if we join you? pastor said, sure, no problem. By the end of the round, the businessman asked the pastors, would you join us in the clubhouse for lunch? pastor said, sure, no problem. The pastors didn't know these guys were businessmen. The businessmen knew they were pastors because the businessman asked, what do you do for a living? It's one of the worst questions a pastor gets because he knows when he says he's a pastor, all of a sudden the conversation changes. They just said, hey, we're, we're local pastors and we got invited to come golf here and they're in the clubhouse, and these businessmen, they look at them, and tears start filling up in their eyes. They said, I know you don't know this about us, but our businesses are very successful. We're multi-multi-millionaires. We've played on the best golf courses in the world. We've visited every country. We've been so many different places. We have it all, but here's the deal. When we were golfing with you, we could tell we didn't have something that was real that was real to you. And so would you tell us about this person named Jesus and how we can be with them? Because right now our marriages are struggling. Right now the dynamic with our kids are struggling. And I'm realizing money isn't everything. These pastors led these multimillionaires to Jesus right there on the spot. Afterwards, one of the businessmen said, I can't, go, can't wait to go home and tell my wife. The pastor said, why? He goes, because my wife's been going to church every Sunday, and she said she's been praying for me. <laughs> Watch out for the crazy praying women. You never know. But isn't it true that we can give our lives to our career? We can give our lives to our education for the best degree. We can give our lives for a great status. We can give our lives for the greatest home. We can give our lives for a tree that's full of Christmas presents. We can give our lives to a failure that's happened in our past. We can give our lives to a divorce we can't seem to break free from. But know what the greatest tragedy of it all would be? Is if we completely lived a life void of his presence. You know what I find really interesting? Is the name given to Jesus when he was born. The name given to Jesus when he was born is this name Emmanuel. I just read the verse. It means God with us. And this name wasn't just a fancy name. It wasn't just a descriptor of a person. This name has to reveal the very character of who God is. And this morning, I want to take you from beginning to end in the Bible to reveal this person named Emmanuel, God with us, wasn't just his birth. It was from the beginning of time to his very return. And the first thing you see when you open your Bibles in Genesis you realize that you and I were originally dirt. God took the dirt of the earth, he breathed his breath into it and formed man and made man in the image of God. Which tells me this, God came to be with us for personal relationship. Don't miss this, in the ancient Near East, gods were viewed as these spectacles, these amazing beings. 
Humans in the ancient Near East were seen as nobodies, as slaves, as just dirt, as having no importance. The very fact that God breathed his breath into man, made him in his very ages image, and then gave him the authority to rule and govern the land and to multiply is mind-blowing. So it leaves you and I asking a question today. Why did he make you? And the reason why he made you and the reason why he made me wasn't because he had to, wasn't because he saw us as some objects to please him. He made you to be God with you for a personal relationship. And I know for a fact today, there are people who've walked in similarly to some businessmen with lots of money. You've experienced so much in life, yet you still feel this void in your heart. I have good news for you today. God made you on purpose because he loves you and wants to be God with you. And then if you've ever messed up, you know what it means to be like Adam and Eve because when he made Adam and Eve, they messed up and then God revealed something to you and I that day, number two, God came to be God with us when we messed up. Adam and Eve hid when they heard God walking through the garden. But our heavenly father didn't kill them, didn't destroy them, even though they knew that if they sinned, they deserved death. God walks through a garden and only as a father can do when his kids are missing, he calls out to him and he says, where are you? Where are my kids? Where are you? I don't know if you've ever been a parent before and your kids have ever gone missing or your kids don't want anything to do with you. The greatest pain in the world is when a parent cannot be with their kids, cannot see their kids. And God, when we messed up, he responded as a father with love calling out to his kids, where are you, why? Because don't you ever forget, his name is not just a name. His name describes who he is, that even when you messed up, he wants to be with you. Yet so many of us respond just like Adam and Eve. We don't want to come to church. We're afraid to walk into church. Afraid someone's going to see our mess. Well, I'm so happy as this church called Zoe, we're all about real life together. Because you know the person sitting next to you, did you know they're messy too? Did you know they've messed up too? And you wanna know what you have in common with the person next to you? Is a really big God who wants to be with you, even when you messed up. And then you see God with us through family. You can put up the next one. God with us through family through his family. What do I mean by this? God goes above and beyond by start, starting a family. He calls Abram and says, I'm gonna make you into a great nation. I'm gonna build this family through you. It's gonna be called the family of God. I'm not just a God who creates you and lets you do your thing. I'm a God who wants to be involved in your life so much so I'm gonna make a giant family. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the family's gonna be started through you. You see, God wants to be with us even through the starting of his family. Number four, God wants to be with us through slavery. 
The very family that he started through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they were held in slavery in Egypt. God's family was held captive in slavery. And it says that God heard the cries of his children. God heard the cries of his people day and night because they were abused, tortured, and hurt through slavery. And even then, even in the worst parts of humanity, the worst torture and abuse, God did not abandon them. God was with them and raised up a servant named Moses. Moses led them out of slavery. It was God who delivered them in slavery. You know what I love about God? Is he didn't just deliver us from slavery, but he decided that when he delivered us, he wanted to escort us into his freedom. But what does it say in Exodus chapter 40? In verse 36, it says, In all the travels of the Israelites, whenever the cloud lifted from above the tabernacle, they would set out. The cloud represented God's presence by day and a fire by night. But if the cloud did not lift, they did not set out until the day it lifted. Verse 38, So the cloud of the Lord was over the tabernacle by day. Fire was in the cloud by night. In the sight of all Israelites during all their travels. Know what that communicates to me? I led you through slavery, and I want to be a God that you can constantly see and know you're never alone, but I am with you. And some of you today, you can't see him, but you can sense his presence. I can't tell you how many times I've cried myself to sleep in my own bed. I can't tell you how many times in my own slavery, in my own addiction, in my own imprisonment, Watching a dad leave a family, watching a family walk through divorce, watching a younger sister get diagnosed with stage four cancer. Oh, I've had plenty of nights where I would cry myself to sleep. But you know what I'm convinced of? Is I was never alone. But I had a God with me who caught every tear. He says he's a father to the fatherless. I've never been absent from him. You might not see a pillar of fire in the night. You might not see a cloud during the day. But you can bank that he's a God who is with you. Not only is he a God with us through slavery, but he's a God with us through the impossible task. After Moses died, who was next to lead the people of God? Someone named Joshua. The keys were given to him. He had a huge impossible task. He was going to lead the people of God into the promised land, but there were so many people occupying the land. And what did God tell Joshua? Just as I was with Moses, I am going to be with you. Read it, Joshua 1, over and over. I am with you, Joshua. You're never alone. I'm with you, Joshua. You will see impossibilities, but they are not impossible to me, for I am Emmanuel, God with you. And there's so many people facing the impossible in their life. I have a friend who's been given four months to live through cancer. It seems impossible. I have a friend whose marriage is on the rocks. It seems impossible. I have people who've just lost jobs. It seems impossible. What impossible task are you walking through? And don't you ever forget, we have a God named Emmanuel, God with us. Not just through the impossible tasks. We have a God who's with us through failed leaders. Failed leaders. Oh, don't you remember? The Israelites grew discontent with prophets and judges. They said, give us a king just like everybody else. We want a king to lead us in the battle. We're done with God. Okay. God says, you want a king to rule you? Ultimately, I've always wanted to be the king. 
I've always wanted to be the king that would lead you, but you are rejecting me. I will give you a king. Read Kings. And this king was full of pride and he failed. And his son was the next king full of pride and he failed. And the next king failed. And the next king committed adultery. And the next king killed the successor. And the next king killed this person. You wanted a king? They saw failed leaders left and right. How many people in the room have seen pastors fail? They've seen bosses fail them. They've watched people they thought they could trust fail them. You want to know what's so beautiful? God knew there was only one true king. Pastor Greg preached about it last week. That his name, Emmanuel, wasn't just a baby in a manger. But he would be the king of kings that would never fail. And would establish a kingdom that would never fail. And would be a God who says, I just want to be with you. You see, God with us through failed leaders. Number seven, God with us in our messy family history. Anybody got a messy family history? Anybody come from a messy family? Some of y'all hate family gatherings. You hate the holidays because it means family. You know what I find really interesting? When Jesus was born and you look at his family line, he didn't choose perfection. He chose a messy, broken family. Look at the people who came before Joseph and Mary. Study the family line. You can read about it in the Gospels. You have adulterers. You have prostitutes. You have murderers. You have people who gossiped. You have people you lied. And then comes someone named Jesus, who in the middle of a messy family line is given the name Emmanuel, as if God is trying to tell you and I, I came in the middle of your mess. And I came to be with you, to lead you. God with us over the nations. Do you know that when Jesus first publicly revealed he was the Messiah? Don't miss this. Did you know when Jesus first revealed that he was the Messiah, it wasn't to large crowds, it wasn't to churches full of people. The first time he ever publicly says, I am the Messiah, is to a woman at a well who's a Samaritan. Jewish people and Samaritans, they didn't mix. What was Jesus trying to tell us that day? He was trying to tell you and I, I came to be with every tribe, every people group, every tongue, every nation, every ethnicity, every race. I came to be God with the nations. And it wasn't to the masses. It was to one woman who was broken and ashamed, which leads me to my next point. God with us. Even in our worst moment and mistake. I got to stop right here for a second. There are people in the room who feel so unworthy. You feel so inadequate. You keep replaying the addiction in your mind, you keep replaying the wounds in your mind, you keep replaying the shame over and over in your mind. Let me remind you of someone. Someone committed a vile act. She was sleeping with another man. This woman was grabbed by religious leaders, pointing out her sin to Jesus, trying to trap him, trying to get him to say something. And in this woman's worst moment, Jesus doesn't take the posture of an accuser. 
he takes the posture of an advocate. He gets down in the sand and begins to write in the sand. Everyone's hinging on what is he going to say. And in this woman's worst moment, knowing she deserves death, Jesus says, let those who are without sin throw the first stone. Everybody, one by one, drops their stones, walks away. It's just this woman and Jesus. You know what that tells me? He didn't come to be God with us when we were perfect. He came to be God with us in our worst moment and worst mistake. Woman, where are your accusers? I don't know. I don't condemn you. You're free. Sin no more. You know what's beautiful? When this woman deserved death, Jesus was looking into her eyes knowing that he was going to take the death that she deserved. That Jesus would take her worst moment, her worst sin upon himself on a cross. Also, she could go free. Jesus in our worst moment, our worst mistake, number 10, Jesus with us over our broken identity. There are some people where you've been walking in a false identity this whole time, walking in the shame of your divorce, walking in the shame of your pornography addiction, walking in this broken identity. Let me remind you of a woman who also was ashamed. She was unclean. She was impure. She lived with the outcast. She had a blood issue. And when she touched the hem of the garment, Jesus stopped and said, who touched me? The woman got her healing. She could have walked away. She got what she came for. And Jesus says, who touched me? Jesus didn't just want to heal a broken woman. He wanted to be with her. Who touched me? And she turns around trembling. And she confesses it was her. Don't miss this. Don't ever miss this. This woman got her physical healing. But this woman has been walking out in a broken identity for 12 years, not able to see her husband, not able to see her kids, all because what Jesus does after he hears her confession, he looks her right in the eye and he says, daughter, daughter, the only time you ever see Jesus call someone daughter in the New Testament is when a woman who's broken over a broken past, and in one moment, He restores her to who she really is, a daughter. Daughter, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. Don't you see? It's not just a name. He wants to be God with us. God with us when we were sinners. I find it funny that a perfect Savior would find sinners, like tax collectors. And he literally says this, Zacchaeus, I need to be with you in your house tonight. I need to be a guest in your house. Zacchaeus wasn't perfect. He was a notorious sinner. And you have the Savior walking up to him saying, I need to be with you. Even while we were yet sinners, he loved you and gave his life for you. God with us through the power of his Holy Spirit. Jesus knew he wouldn't walk this earth forever, and he says, it's better that I go, otherwise the Holy Spirit wouldn't come. But when I do go, I want you to wait for the gift of my Holy Spirit. 
The Holy Spirit came in power in Acts chapter 2. They were filled with the Holy Spirit. A church was formed that day. The power of God was on display, y'all. It communicates this. Yes, my name is Emmanuel, but I did not come to dwell in buildings made by human hands. I came to give you my Holy Spirit so you wouldn't walk as orphans in the world. I came to be God inside of you. I came to fill you with my Holy Spirit. You're never alone. God with us. And then number 13, God with us through death. You know what a lot of people fear of today? They fear of dying. Death scares people. We don't like to talk about it. But I think of a man named Stephen, just like you and I, who was full of faith and full of the Holy Spirit. And as Stephen was dying, as they were chucking stones on his head, he forgives those who are chucking stones on him. And as he looks up, he sees Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father. Even in his death, he wasn't alone. And the only time you ever see Jesus standing in Scripture next to his father is when someone named Stephen's being persecuted for believing and standing up for him. Death is never a fear for a Christian. Death is an excitement and joy of being forever with Jesus forever. Oh, death, where is your sting? And then this might be the best one. God with us in his return. In this Christmas season, we expect the coming of Jesus and his birth. But don't ever forget in this season, we also expect the coming of his return. If you didn't know this, I'm happy to tell you, Jesus is going to come back a second time. And why in the world would he come back a second time? Because he wants to be with us. Do you see how the name Emmanuel isn't just a descriptor? Do you see the name Emmanuel woven through Genesis all the way through Revelation? From the beginning of it all to the return of Christ and the end of it all, we have a God who doesn't change and is telling you and I, I want to be with you. But here's the big so what to this whole message, the whole point. Do you actually want to be with him? Do we actually want to be with him? Because I just laid out from the Bible God's huge desire to be with you. And I think some of us, we live like my daughter. Put up a picture of my little girl, Ev. There's Everly. The other day when she was three, a couple years ago, I was holding her in my arms and I just said, Everly, I love you so much. You know daddy's going to be with you, right? I'm here for you at all times. I love you. I was just affirming her with my words. Everly, I'm so proud of you. I love you so much. You know what she says to me? That's enough, dad. (laughs) That's enough. I get it, dad. Thanks. Thanks anyway. That's enough. She literally tells me, that's enough, dad. I think sometimes we can do the same thing to God. And God's done everything. Reveal his love, saying, I want to be with you. But we look back at God. No, that's enough, God. And we do it not with our words. We do it with the way we live. No, God, I really don't need to go to church. I'll just go once a month. I'm about to step on some toes. And I'm going to speak to those who say they love and they follow Jesus. 
yeah, I'll just go to church once a month. My kids don't really need to go. I don't really need it. No, that's enough, God. No, really, God, you didn't show up for me during my marriage. I don't really need it. No, that's enough. No, I'm too busy to open my Bible and understand more of his character. No, I'm too busy to pray. I'll just let Pastor Hunter disciple my kids. I'll just let Pastor Amanda disciple my kids. If they go there, they're fine. I don't really need to do anything in my kids' lives. Oh, no, I'll be fine. Oh, it's okay. And we literally live in such a way as if we're void of his presence. You want to know why I'm so passionate about this? It's because every time we come to church on Sunday, our faith is building. Our faith is growing. His presence is here. It reminds us we're not alone. It reminds us there's a God who wants to be with us. He gave us his church to walk alongside of us. The reason why I'm so passionate about seeing people come every Sunday and not just one Sunday a month is because I would be dead, strung out on drugs if it wasn't for a single mom who brought her kids to church every Sunday. And it was a mom trying to reach out saying, I can't do this thing. I need the church. I can't make it as a single mom. I got to show up on Sunday. Church, it is vital that we come every single Sunday. Not out of legalism, but because we need the presence of God. We need our faith to be built. We need to build our lives on things that won't sink and go away. We need to build our life on a presence that's with us right now. And every time you're here, you're going to hear the word of God preached. You're going to get your toes stepped on. But we're going to grow into being one, one in Christ, loving each other. I want to end with one last picture today and what it means to be God with us. You can put up this picture on the screen. Growing up, my dads would look at us kids. You can leave the picture up. And my dad would say, kids, do you know how much dad loves you? We go, how much, dad? How much do you love us? And my dad would do this. Kids, I love you this much. And then my dad would look at us again. Hey, kids, do you know how much I love you? And us kids, we'd look at my dad. Dad, you love us this much. When I think of love, I think of this picture. And I think of Jesus on a cross who was born as an infant and his name, Emmanuel, God with us. And then I have this picture in my mind. And this picture tells me, I want to be with you. And this is what I'm willing to do, to be obedient to my Father so that you never, ever have to be separated from me, but so that I can always be God with you in your life. But you want to know what I want to draw your attention to? Is the person on his left and the person on his right. Both were criminals. Both were deserving of death. The only person not deserving of death was the one in the center, his name Jesus. And one criminal on his side begins to hurl insults at Jesus, begins to rebuke Jesus, blaspheme Jesus, make all kinds of jokes about Jesus. And then the one next to him, the other side, in Luke chapter 23, 
the discourse is very interesting. In Luke chapter 23, the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you're under the same sin sentence? We're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, truly, I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. There's only one of two kinds of people in the room, and it's this. Those that actually want to be with Jesus and those who don't. That's it. And you know what I find really interesting? Is Jesus' final moments on this earth is staring into a criminal's eyes. Did you catch what he said? Surely you will be with me. Are you with him? He's done everything to be with you. Do you actually want to be with him? Are you with them? If you're not with them, I want you to know he made a way for you to be with them forever. My car mechanic was dying with cancer. He was laying in his hospital bed. He asked me a question. What does it mean to be with Jesus? I looked at him and said, hey, let me just tell you something. All of us, me and you, we've messed up, haven't we? Yeah, we're, we've messed up in a big way. Yeah, that's right. And God doesn't wait for us to get our stuff together to come to him. He says we can be with him right now. He looks at me. He says, that's what I want. I said, let's pray together. I led my car mechanic to Christ. And after we get done praying together, he starts weeping in his bed. He says, that was the best moment of my entire life. A couple days later, he passes away. He spends eternity with Jesus forever. He'd spent his whole life as a criminal on a cross, insulting Jesus, wanting nothing to do with Jesus. And at the very end of his life, I watched before my very eyes the burdens of years of sin lifted off his body and set free. That is who Jesus is. He came to be God with you. Everyone could bow their head, close their eyes. I'm not going to have the worship team come. This is going to be the end of the service today. If you're here and you're not actually with Jesus, I want to give you a chance to say, Jesus, I want to be with you. If you're here and you're living in darkness, you're living in sin, you're not actually with them, I want you to know you can leave today walking out of this room with them in your life. If that's you, say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. I just want you to put your hand up. No one looking around. Say, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus. I want to be with him. Just put up your hand wherever you are. So cool. So awesome. I'm going to wait 30 more seconds. So awesome. Say, hey, I want to be with them. So cool. Anybody else? So awesome. Talking about six hands. I want all of us to pray this together. All of us as a church just say, Jesus, I'm not saved because of a prayer. I'm saved because you wanted to be with me. Jesus, would you forgive me of my sin? Help me to follow you. I receive your love. 
I receive your forgiveness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, can we clap for the six people that said, hey, I want to give my life to Jesus? It's incredible. I have one final challenge for the church today. I love ending my messages all about the gospel. I want you leaving about the gospel, but my one challenge is this. Prioritize his presence over the presence. Foster his presence. These presents will fade. His presence never will. These presents will go away. His presence is always near. Jesus, I thank you for this church. Thank you for your presence that is here even today, even now. God, we walk out of here, not alone, but with someone named Emmanuel. God with us.